Tomorrow is Easter. The Christian holiday celebrates the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But Easter also has a non-religious side, one associated with bunnies, dyed eggs, and fluffy yellow chicks. Good morning. I'm George Borarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. The fact of the matter is you won't find any reference to a long-eared, cotton-tailed creature known as the Easter Bunny in the Bible. There is, however, a classic Bugs Bunny episode about one. Hey, what's up, Doc? I'm the Easter Rabbit, and I'm supposed to be happy and gay. Okay, Looney Tunes aside, why is Easter associated with bunnies and eggs? Well, those traditions have pagan roots. Rabbits and eggs symbolize fertility and were part of the traditional pagan spring celebration known as Istra or Ostra. Christians adopted those customs, and the rest is history. Here's the Easter rabbit, hooray! And a happy Easter rabbit. Here, kid, have an egg. I want an Easter egg, I want an Easter egg, I want an Easter egg, I want a boy. The tradition of dyeing Easter eggs got us thinking about dye itself, and that led us to Long Island City, Queens, specifically to Tish and Snooky's Manic Panic. The internationally renowned hair dye and cosmetics company is known for its funky colors. In fact, some of the biggest names in show business use their product, from Cyndi Lauper to Lady Gaga. I'm your Manic Panic started as a punk-style boutique in the 1970s. I sat down with a real-life sister act behind the operation. My name is Tish Bellomo, and I'm one of the owners of Manic Panic. And I'm Snooky Bellomo, the other owner of Manic Panic. And here we are this morning at your headquarters in Long Island City, Queens. But it did not start here, did it? It started on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, huh, Tish? Yes, it did. Yeah, in 1977. 7777 was our official opening, as a matter of fact. Very lucky day. How did Manic Panic get off the ground? Well, very slowly but surely. <laughs> you know, we were singers, and as a sideline to our singing career, we thought, oh, well, let's just open a store. People like our style, like our clothes, and always want ask us where we got certain things. So let's sell our style. And little did we dream... <laughs> It would take over our lives. This was in the midst of New York City's punk era, right? Absolutely. It was the dawn of punk, and we were so happy to be there for it and be a part of it. And we were such a part of it. I was just watching uh, the early Saturday Night Live episodes, and our sign was in the beginning, or doing the introduction to Saturday, you know, after it's live from New York City, it's Saturday night, and then they show different little scenes from New York, and one of them is our sign. And I was—I couldn't believe it. I was like, "Oh, there's our sign!" Yes, yes. Well, it was the first punk store in America, so we got so much publicity, so much press, just because we were the first. Every newspaper and magazine and TV station covered our opening, and it was just the funniest thing because we had hardly anything to sell. We just like made stuff and you know, brought stuff down from our rooms at home, stuff that we had collected all our lives. And, you know, there was, we didn't have a lot to sell, but we got so much press that, you know, people started coming. And then we thought, oh, my God, we have a real business now. We have to get more stock and, <laughs> and really do this. So we did. 
What led you, though, down the road of hair dye, though, Snooky? Well, it was one of the things that we first started importing from England when we would go over there on trips. We would bring over suitcases full of whatever we had in, that we found in New York that they didn't have over there, like, you know, vintage sunglasses or all different stuff. And then we'd bring back stuff that they didn't have here, like hair dye and beetle boots and all kinds of stuff. And um, we we gradually started to specialize in beauty products because all the other things that we sold, anytime we'd find something cool, our competitors would go over to England and, and tell the suppliers not to sell to us anymore, that they could buy more. So then they would cut us off, stop selling to us, and... Um, you know, we'd have to find other things. But the one thing the competitors couldn't compete on was beauty products because we're women and they were all men and we know about this stuff and they didn't. So we specialized and um, it was a good thing. That, that became what we became known for. Your client list includes everyone from Cindy Lauper to Nicki Minaj to Lady Gaga, right, Snooky? That's right. That's right. And I was just going to say, even Cher came to our dumpy little store in the East Village and bought cosmetics. You have very cool colors. In fact, you two still dye your hair with Manic Panic products. What color is your hair, Snooky? It's um, ultraviolet and voodoo blue. Voodoo blue. <laughs> That's right. How frequently do you change your hair color? Not that often because I'm kind of lazy. <laughs> I used to have bright red for years or orange, some shade of red or orange, but um, then I felt like going purple. I'll stick with this for a while. What about you, Tish? I think I've done every color except yellow. I, it's just not my color. Normally, I go for reds, purples, and pinks, and right now I've been pink for years. I really like pink. You were pink before pink. Definitely. <laughs> Way before pink. How many colors do you have? 35, I think. At last count. Now, but we, now we have oh, we're doing seven, eight. eight more? Seven more, seven yeah. More. Yeah, so whatever that adds up to. <laughs> Somebody get out the calculator. <laughs> it's a lot of colors. I think we have more colors than any other brand that sells this kind of stuff. Some other companies dabble in it and do like six kooky colors, but this is our thing, and it's our what we specialize in and what we love, so we're always doing new colors. Some people aren't brave. Some people might feel a little intimidated to color the hair in the way you do. What is it? that inspires you and you think other folks to color their hair so brightly? It's just so much fun. And, you know, it's like the movie A Clockwork Orange. It, it just looks so cool. And it's becoming so much more mainstream every day that soon it'll be like the norm, like in A Clockwork Orange. Nobody will bat an eye. Yeah, we're already appealing to a way wider variety of people and uh, ages. And uh, when we first opened the store, I would say our clientele was probably, uh, you know, from about uh, maybe 16 to, you know, 25 or something like that. Those were the people who were dyeing their hair in general. And now it, the 
tiniest kids are begging their moms to put color in their hair. And, you know, we, we had an, a woman in her 80s who was a customer and wrote poems about Manic Panic and told everybody how it changed her life and made people like her and people would talk to her because she said before that she was invisible and she just loved it so much. She had purple hair. It's just, you know, something that people can do even if they're not that adventurous at this point because a lot of people just put some underneath at the back of their hair or, you know, in in a place where they can kind of hide it at work and then whip it out after work. (laughs) Or just do a highlight over brown hair. You know, you can get nice highlights and it's nothing too extreme and it's acceptable at the office. You also do your eyebrows. Your eyebrows are purple. (laughs) Yes, yes they are. Well, they have to match the (laughs) hair. What about the name Manic Panic? How did you come up with the name? That was our mother's idea. She worked at um, Bronx Psychiatric at the time, I think. Or maybe she was just moving into visual arts. She became the chairperson of the art therapy department there. But anyway, she was in the psychiatric field, and she came up with the name. So the name just Manic Panic, is that a clinical term? What is the name Manic Panic? Yeah, yeah, it's a psychiatric term for when manic depressives go into a panic. It's a Manic Panic. It's been very appropriate for our business. (laughs) And it it just, it sounds good, and... our mother was right on the mark. You are Bronx girls, right? We yeah. are. Raised in the Bronx, yeah. born in the Bronx? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I said. Not born we, raised. We were, we were born in Manhattan. Oh, okay. And then we lived in Queens, and uh, I still live in the Bronx. And um, now we're in Long Island City, Manic Panic. And Manic Panic is all over the world. You are an international company. Yes, we are. We have distributors all over now. We're gathering up even more. We're in countries that we... You know, never thought we would be in, you know, Turkey and um, from, we were in Dubai and now we're getting somebody else in Dubai to take our products all over. It's just so exciting. We Mm -hmm. still sing all the time and it's great and... Yeah, we're gigging more than ever. It's just so funny. We have so many more shows now than we did when we were younger. What's your sound? Our sound? Oh, anything you want. We, we We do everything from, you know our traditional punk rock, <laughs> all the way to lounge music. And right now we're doing something with Michael Musto um, at uh, 54 Below, which is the old 54, but it's downstairs it must have been the VIP room or something. And we're doing a, uh, our second disco night with him. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> Your products are mostly vegan, right? And not mm-hmm. tested on animals. Yeah, we should point that out. Yeah. All the hair dye is vegan. Yeah. And, and not tested on animals. And we love animals. And, you know, our, one of our dreams is to um, either have our own animal shelter or contribute big time to, animal, to a certain animal shelter. We do benefits for different shelters and places and organizations and um, we want to do more to help animals and people, too. We want to do a big breast cancer thing, benefit. It's just hard to do everything. We're still a mom-and-mom operation. <laughs> right, right, yeah. And, uh, but we do want to save the world. 
That's one of our goals. Snooky and Tish (laughs) save the world. Has a very nice ring to it. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe we'll run for president. Have you found that a lot of men are also using your colors as well, not just women? A lot more men. And I wish even more would use them. But it's happening. It's really, really happening. Because in the old days, there weren't that many guys who did it. But nowadays, people are getting much more bold and... uh, it looks great on guys. What color would you say would look good on me? I would say a dark blue. A really a nice yeah, dark blue. Yeah, like yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you think that would go over if I went to interview the mayor, though, huh? <laughs> I think he'd love it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what should we do for the mayor? <laughs> <laughs> Something, right? He needs to... Up? Yeah, we'll give him a manic makeover. <laughs> Before he leaves office. Better get on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or the new mayor. Mm-hmm. It also yeah. covers gray, so if we have a gray mare, the old gray mare. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, it does, if you use the darker colors on gray hair, it takes really nicely and comes out a bit lighter, but it takes on most gray hair. So anybody How do can. you know that, Tish? I wouldn't. I, uh, you know, friends. <laughs> Word of mouth. <laughs> Tish, thank you so much. Thank you. Snooky, thank you. Thank you. That was Tish and Snooky Bolomo. They own Manic Panic, an internationally renowned hair dye and cosmetics company based in Long Island City, Queens. It all started as a punk-style boutique on Manhattan's Lower East Side in the 1970s. This is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm George Bodarki. This morning, we're exploring Easter themes. Next up, rabbits. Every year around this time, pet stores fill their window displays with rabbits. But Mary Cotter of the House Rabbit Society urges parents not to buy Easter bunnies for their kids unless they're willing to make a 10-year commitment to care for them. Mary joins us now with some advice on what's involved with bringing a rabbit into your home. Mary, thanks for coming in. You're welcome. I'm thrilled to be here. What is the mission of the Rabbit Society? The House Rabbit Society was really created to encourage people to keep rabbits as indoor pets. So many people think of hutches when they think of rabbits, and they relegate the rabbit to a backyard environment that's not really good for the rabbit short-term or long-term. Why is that? Well, you've heard the expression, out of sight, out of mind. Mm -hmm. That's a significant reason right there. Once the rabbit is in your backyard, it's very hard after the initial excitement wears off. You know, we have a new pet. Let's go out and visit Fluffy. A week or two or three or maybe even a month or two or three go by. And uh, after that, the rabbit is not a novelty anymore. The novelty wears off, and people are interested in moving on, doing other things with their lives. The children are not terribly interested in, in cleaning the rabbit or taking care of the rabbit. And the fact is that the rabbit is alone all day long and all night long, for that matter, except for those infrequent visits by family members to the backyard. And it's not a way that any pet should have to live. People have objected to that kind of keeping animals with dogs and cats for many years. And, uh, and, and we are objecting to keeping rabbits that way, to having people keep rabbits that way. Are yes. rabbits social creatures? Do they like to interact with humans? From what we know they are, they live in social groups in nature. These are not solitary animals. They live in social groups with lots of social interaction. And we know now from the 25 years of our existence that they can live very, very happily with humans indoors in houses or apartments. 
and they have very strong bonds with their humans. It's really interesting the kinds of bonds that they form. Many rabbits end up being kissers, the same as many dogs do. Not all dogs will lick you, but many dogs will, and so will many rabbits. I've read that a rabbit can die from a heart attack from the very approach of a predator. Is That's that true? true? That's absolutely true, yeah. And many people call well, I hope not many anymore, but it has been the case in the past that uh, many people call us to tell us that they need a, and I quote, replacement rabbit for their children. And I say, what do you mean a replacement rabbit? And they'll say, well, we had a rabbit in a hutch in our backyard, and um, and he was just dead this morning. We went out to feed him, and he was dead. And I always say, well, was the cage destroyed, or was the mesh torn? Nope, no damage. But there were some footprints around the bottom of the cage, and it looked like maybe there were some footprints on top of the cage, too. And that's what happens. Rabbits, when they're confined like that, they are prey and they know it. And if a predatory bird comes along or a raccoon comes and climbs on the cage or a cat tries to get in or a dog stands on its hind legs and threatens the rabbit, the rabbit sees itself as lunch. And it, that's an extremely stressful situation. Their stress hormones become elevated immediately. And yes, they can indeed die of, of a cardiac event. How should a rabbit live within the home? Should you keep a rabbit in a cage? Should the rabbit walk freely around your home? Well, you have to realize you're speaking to someone with a certain prejudice here <laughs> at House Rabbit Society. We want to make sure that rabbits get plenty of exercise. There are different ways of looking at how a rabbit should live, for sure. And even in our own organization, people have different opinions. Some people keep their rabbits free range, which means that they're never enclosed. I am not in favor of that personally because I've been in this enough years now to see what can happen when animals are not confined and nobody is there to supervise. Uh, we don't want the rabbits confined in a tiny little space like the kind of cage you're likely to be sold at a pet store. We love the idea of a much larger space. And just to give you an example, a puppy exercise pen can be a great environment for a rabbit. You get yourself a 30-inch high puppy exercise pen. You put a nice big litter box in there, and I mean a big litter box the size of a kitchen sink. Rabbits use litter boxes. Rabbits use litter boxes, and they and they do it. You don't have to really train or uh, go through any kind of procedures. Uh, they do it not in a way dissimilar to cats, but not exactly the same either. If you, we have a cat, you can put the litter box just about anywhere, and the cat will find it. With a rabbit, a rabbit will have a preferred place to leave his waste. And if you can see, and it will be usually a corner, and if you can see which corner the rabbit has selected, usually there'll be a little puddle or some poops or something left in the corner, put the litter box in that corner and the rabbit will use it almost automatically. A lot of people will feel the need to buy a rabbit for their kid around this time of year, Easter time. What's your advice to a parent considering that at the moment? Well, you're right. Many, many parents who are... Um, uh, overwhelmed by children's literature that has images of rabbits. From the time the baby is born, they're reading them stories with bunnies and the Easter bunny and the velveteen rabbit and Bugs Bunny, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, these parents, when Easter comes, the first thing they think of is, oh, I'd like to get a little rabbit for my boy or my girl. And, or the child is seeing Easter rabbits in stores and begging for a real rabbit. And we tell them that's really not a good idea when the child is small. And there are reasons for that. Rabbits are very lightweight compared to other animals. And little children love to carry and cuddle and hold pets, which is normal. They're just being kids, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's not a good combination, that desire to hold and carry and cuddle. And this is a ground animal, and it's an animal that breaks easily. And the rabbits are so scared at first when this, the three-year-old is walking around holding the rabbit as tightly as he can. The rabbits at first don't move, and the child may get the idea that, that the rabbit likes being carried like that. 
But then the rabbit finally panics and, and in an effort to get out of the grip of that little one will bite or nip or scratch or whatever and the child just reflexively lets go. And then the rabbit is dropped and, and you have a tragedy. You have broken legs or a broken back or, or possibly even a dead rabbit. How common is it after Easter to find families wanting to give their rabbits up for adoption? They get a rabbit for Easter, Easter passes, and now we don't want this thing anymore. Do you see that a lot? It's very, very common. And it, we have waves of it during the year. The first wave is shortly after Easter when the amount of work involved in rabbit care becomes apparent to parents. A lot of parents think that rabbits are easy, low-maintenance starter pets, and they're not. In my experience, having lived with both rabbits and dogs for the last 17 years, a dog is much easier to take care of than a rabbit. A rabbit requires more vigilant maintenance. How many rabbits do you have at home now? I never say publicly how many rabbits I have. Oh, is that right? Yeah, that's a a state secret. Okay. Well, most of us don't talk about that because many of us live in apartment buildings or in neighborhood areas where we don't want to uh, create alarm bells. If you have more than one animal in some settings, it's already like, oh, two rabbits, Mm -hmm. imagine that. But our rabbits are spayed and neutered, and so they're not going to be reproducing, however many people have. If they're members of House Rabbit Society, they're not going to be producing any more rabbits. So, And we also foster rabbits, and we ask people to foster rabbits. Maybe you'd like to foster a rabbit. Uh, and that just means taking a rabbit from a shelter and giving it a temporary home until we can place it in a forever home, what people call forever homes. We need people to do that all the time, and most shelters around the United States do need foster care for rabbits. What's the one thing that you love most about rabbits? Oh, I don't know if I could narrow it down to one. <laughs> um I like the fact that they're prey animals. For me, it's been a a thrill and a challenge to learn how to interact with an animal that's not a predator and to learn to gain that animal's trust. There's just no feeling like that when a a prey animal approaches you and asks to interact with you. It, It feels like a privilege to me. I love that about them. Plus, they smell really good. I love the smell of rabbits. I love the feel of their fur. I love all those sensual things about them for sure. They're hilariously funny. It's very hard to be down in the dumps when you live with a rabbit. Um, there's a word that the sister of one of our volunteers created years ago, and now it's all over the Internet, and the word is binky. And that word was created to describe the kind of joy jumping that a rabbit does. Just out of nowhere, a rabbit will just catapult himself into the air and twist in midair and land facing a different direction and run off and then do the same thing again and again. And you can't not laugh. It is hilarious. And I know people who have kept their sanity because of their rabbits. Mary, thanks so much for coming in. You're very welcome. Mary Cotter is vice president of the International House Rabbit Society. She's also the director of Rabbit Rescue and Rehab. You can find out more at rabbit.org. From real-life rabbits to a moving company only associated with them by name. Rabbit Movers is unique in that their moving staff is comprised entirely of artists. Sean Lyons started the company to support artists and their work. He's with us now in the studio. Sean, welcome to Cityscape. Thank you. What makes Rabbit Movers different than other moving companies in New York City? I think the the main difference is that we really recognize the the stress that's behind moving. That uh, when people are moving, they're going they're in a vulnerable place and they're going through a lot. One of the 
uh, toughest times in, in a year, probably. If you're, and New Yorkers tend to move once a year, it seems. And, and we really try to cater to that, to, to do everything we can to reduce the stress. The folks doing your moving also make your company unique, right? Yeah, that's, that's the other thing that sets us apart. We only hire artists. Uh, that's with a broad definition. So we have actors and musicians and writers, cooks and designers. It, it creates a really nice community and a really great dynamic in the company. Uh, artistic collaborations come out of it. Artistic collaborations, yeah. Bands have formed uh, out of the company or writing collaborations, uh, film collaborations. How did the company itself come about? When did you come up with this idea to bring artists together as part of a moving company? It happened pretty organically. I, I started as a man with van, and I'm a writer myself with a background in the arts. Um, I run a gallery kind of as a side project in Dumbo called uh, Rabbit Hole. And so in the beginning, uh, I, most of the people that helped me were friends, and those friends tended to be artists. And as we grew, I, I we started to hire you know anybody who was a qualified mover. But I noticed the dynamic changed, and I missed it. Like I, I liked the idea of of everyone kind of having uh, other ambitions too. Of uh, I, I like thinking of the moving company as a stepping stone toward toward bigger dreams uh, for people and and for our employees. And how many artists do you have on your team now? Right now we have about thirty, um, thirty, thirty-five. Back in August we had close to eighty, but unfortunately we were hit pretty hard by Sandy and uh, had to downsize a little bit. How so were you hit hard? Our warehouse and our trucks are parked along the Gowanus Canal. In the end, our trucks were all uh, submerged. The water came up to the steering wheels, so all the trucks were gone. Wow. Um, so wow. That, was, that was a rough blow. How much do your clients know about the backgrounds of the people moving their furniture? We try to... Um, we, we have a page on our website. We call it the Rabbit Registry. that uh, has um, the... CVs and, and portfolios of the artists that work with us so that if a client would like to or they could check it out or if uh, if the mover during the job, if, if they have any rapport and or if the client's interested, uh, they can point the client in that direction to look at their work. Now, you also have a program called Art Attacks, right? What is that exactly? I was, I've been really excited about that. Um, we've been doing that for a couple of years now. Um, uh, mobile art galleries, basically. So, in we, your moving vans, right? In the moving trucks, yeah. So we kind of figured out how to quickly convert the moving truck into into a gallery space with the white walls and 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 quick kind of uh, uh, plug-in lighting. And the idea was to, so that our movers could, you know, if a job is finished uh, early in the day and they want to, they can grab some of their work from home and put it up and you know convert the truck, put it up, and then go park the truck in Chelsea uh, for the night, if it, say it's a Thursday night, and get some exposure. Why the name Rabbit, Rabbit Movers? My last name is Lions. Uh, so, uh, yeah, my first thought was Lion Movers. You know, it's strong and king of the jungle and all that, and this New York, the concrete jungle. The, I don't know. I, thought, I felt like I didn't even know much about the industry at the time, but I, f- I had the sense that... Uh, Movers in New York had a reputation of being um, like almost too aggressive, <laughs> I guess, like kind of big, scary guys, you know. Uh, and I just imagine, you know, that's that probably it's probably it makes it more scary for people, you know, when they're having these you have strangers come into your house and handling every, all of your possessions and everything that you care about, um, and you don't really get a chance to meet them all beforehand, um, at least not usually. So, so I kind of went the other direction. Like um, uh, rabbits, they're 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 cute and they're 
quirky and, and I, I like everything that they uh, kind of represent well, except the, the trickster part, maybe. I've read that you specialize in moving art for galleries. How did that evolve? It seems like it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it just seemed natural. Uh, um, because we hired artists, they were sort of um, uh, came to us as art handlers. And, and we give a little extra training. And we have creator, creators and, uh, and people that do specific installation work. Um, Could be a great networking opportunity for an artist, too, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, that, too. Um, yeah, and we tried to put the movers uh, toward, uh, I guess, on jobs that might be more conducive for them. Uh, you know, we we consider these things when we're booking. We, we do what we can to to um, to help them out. You mentioned that bands have formed as a result of your company because musicians get to know each other and they hook up. But is moving itself something that inspires artists? Do you think to create? I think it does. Um, it, there's something there's something really pure about it. I mean, you're really just you're helping someone transition from one place to another, and it's usually often someone that can't do it themselves. And so there's something really satisfying about that. Um, it's I don't know, out of that satisfaction uh, and the good feeling, along with uh, working with uh, people that you like and share goals with, this really great community happens. Um, and I think the combination of all of these things um, is really conducive to inspiration. Sean Lyons, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. Sean Lyons is the owner of Rabbit Movers, a moving company based in Brooklyn. They're online at rabbitmovers.com. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. Remember, you can find show updates by liking us on Facebook and following us on Twitter. We're listed on both as WFUV's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to senior producer, Morlene Chin, and producer, Julie Clark. Have a great weekend. Bye.